assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. It's a new day. Yes, it is. greatest podcast of all time, which is entitled The New Day. a.k.a. Austin Creed. My name is Big E, but I wasn't always Big E. I was once a man named Big E Langston, once a man who had a strong name attached at the end of Big E, once a man of dignity, a man who could walk with his head high because he had a last name and a strong and proud last name until one day some colonizer yeah, I said a colonizer <laughs> and stole it from me like they're known to do. That's what they do. Uh, but yet, I will still forge on, yet I will still push on as Big E. That's who I am. Just Big E. For now. For now, who's to say where it could go? And I am Kofi Kingston. And today... Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest on the hashtag. Sorry, that's it though. That's it. Yo, look, we, we got to do polar. No, because you 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 have the long game, the long con. You know, it's like a yin and yang or, or good cop bad cop thing. You got the long drawn out. You know, Who's I'm the bad cop. <laughs> I don't know. It's subjective, I suppose. I'm just saying. You know, like the 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 antithesis and the. Uh, thing. Uh, so what we have today is a very special guest on the hashtag New Day Pod, somebody who I regard as the smoothest man that I've ever faced in a WWE ring. Yes, the smoothest. And I've faced a lot, and, and I don't mean just the skin. Okay. I'm talking about <laughs> skill level. You know, although uh, his skin was pretty soft, I'm talking about moves, doing things that are very difficult, very difficult, and making them look easy, like a cat. And the irony is, is that this man, he loves himself a good cat. As a matter of fact, he's got several cats. I don't know if that's irony, though. Yeah. Is it irony? So. It, well, that, that he, well, it, it's coincidence. Is it coincidence or irony? The man yeah, sure. that I'm introducing to you is <laughs> a man who we have crossed paths with on several 
different levels as the New Day and myself uh, as just regular old Kofi Kingston, the man who I'm talking about is Tyza! <laughs> Kid. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. A man whose pool I have also uh, been in. <laughs> That's true. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, we probably, we can't, we should probably just stop it there. We can't. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. That's my, that's my favorite story. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's not start quite. it off. Uh, Why not man. start it off? Podcast ready. I mean, we can, we can. Why not? We talk about when I was dealing with Big E, and not in a negative way, exactly, but dealing with Big E seven days a week for like two or three weeks straight. <laughs> Repping you guys five days a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I, I'm home, and you guys also were home Wednesdays and Thursdays. During those days, we're filming Total Divas. That week, at the time, Langston was already gone, but I still would like to refer to him as Mr. Langston. Was, he was filming Total Divas. He's at my house on that Wednesday and Thursday. Then I see him at the airport bright and early at 6 a.m. on Friday for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, tomorrow, and Tyson Kid against the New Day in every town that we could possibly get into. And... Uh, and then Big E's at my house again on Wednesday and Thursday. And I, yeah. I saw him at the airport on that following Wednesday, and I said, hey, E, no offense. I'm a little bit excited to not see you tomorrow. And he was a little bit sad, but I said, that's not the way I mean it. I just mean I'm glad we kind of have a, a day off. But don't worry, I'll see you bright and early Friday morning to continue our schedule of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Very true. Uh, I think I also, uh, they had the producers of Total Divas had me wear your pants, I think, as well, the Lululemon pants. <laughs> Dude, and a shirt. And the best part was I wore that shirt and I got my cat ears sewn onto the hood. And uh, I wore them out to the ring and I'll leave them nameless, but somebody very high up in the company told me that I shouldn't be wearing those. He's like, hey, I saw you wear a hoodie with cat ears on it. I recommend you don't wear that because next thing you know, they're going to have you drinking milk out of a saucer. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. Great advice. Yeah. It's not wrong. That was probably going to happen next. And uh, I remember saying, well, it it beats the alternative of not being booked. I mean, it is, it's quite a few steps above that. Anyway, so the shirt was like in this drawer. I I took his advice and was like, okay, I'll follow his advice. Dude, I, I come home from the gym and I come back and he's wearing not only my pants, but he's wearing that shirt. (laughs) <laughs> with the hood up and and that shirt's tight on me and biggie's like 100 pounds here i'm like 180 pounds how, how does the shirt fit biggie i have no idea man i came home and he has like flour on him he's baking and he's got the shirt on like i said the oh, shirt yeah. the shirt that on me how the hell does biggie fit it right so when you when you're gone from home and you walk in your house and the first thing you see is not only e like in your kitchen baking but he's also wearing your clothes <laughs> Like, what, what goes through your head? Before anything goes through my head, uh, he's like, what's up, Teach? What's up, Teach? So then just like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew we were filming Total Divas. I honestly, that day, I didn't know he was coming over in the morning. I thought I'd probably see him later on. I honestly did not think he was, was going to be at my house when I came back from the gym. But I just was taken back by the fact that he was also wearing my clothes. I get it. <laughs> I, I will say you're a very patient man because if I walk into my house and someone is in my house and wearing my clothes, there's got to be hell to pay. <laughs> got to be hell to pay. <laughs> and you were very cool with this, so I appreciate that. You imagine Biggie walked into his house and I'm in there wearing his singlet. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> 
What's up, E? What's up, E? <laughs> <laughs> the best part is like that baking is such a random thing to say, but like that's what was happening. That's what we're doing, yeah. yeah. Pants and the shirt were both black and it had like flour all over, like there's flour all over the place. Yeah, it's a terrible a time. Very strange. But but actually it's funny too, Kofi's point of saying like uh these different incarnations, true. Like my tryout match for WWE is against Kofi. Then, I, so I wrestled him, uh, I was unsigned. Then I got signed, my work visa, all this process, like come back to Deep South. And then I wrestled Kofi. My first, like, uh, I guess, TV match in Deep South under contract is against Kofi. And then, like, uh, of course, we've done the iterations of singles matches, tag matches, all the way to uh, me being a producer. And I was actually supposed to produce uh, Kofi and Brian at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah uh, for the, you know, Kofi Mania. Was originally that was my match originally. Did you boycott? Did you boycott? You just said, <laughs> I've, had, I've had enough of this guy. I, I was like, listen, if, if, if Kofi's winning, I'm out. Oh my god! I tried to do, no, I tried to do what I can to, to bust up New Day. I thought you winning the title. <laughs> it was just that strength. If he's winning the title, I'm out. And I thought I had enough leverage to finish change. I didn't. I just got myself taken. Out, so. <laughs> well, it's either him or me. All right, let's <laughs> <laughs> switch up the producer. Oh, okay. <laughs> but hey, just to take it back, man, to the uh, the, the first match that we had uh, in Deep South. I don't know if you remember, but this was like, um, so so <laughs> they actually grouped me with a, a, a girl named Lala. Uh, and you were with Natty, obviously. And the only, like, the only thing that me and Lala had in common was that we were African-American human beings. So I remember, <laughs> that was it, that was it, you know? So I, I remember just being like, oh, this is like, just is so random that we're like together. And we cut this promo. It was a weird promo that we cut beforehand. And, you know, and I'm, I don't even know what I was talking about, but it wasn't very good. So, um, you know, it was such a pleasure to be in there, like, with you and have the mask that we had and have it just kind of like overshadow all like the, the negative day. And nothing against Lala. I love Lala, but we just had no yeah, business. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. We, you know what I'm saying? We just had no business being like, what, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? But we had this amazing match and, uh, you know, did some pretty uh, innovative things in there. And like I said, that was the first time where like I realized like, man, I... I, I'm not that good at this, you know? Cause like you, you were just so, <laughs> just so smooth. You know what I'm saying? Like I've never been in the ring with anybody that is just, you, you can, you can do it all. You know what I'm saying? From like technical things to high flying things to, you know, getting up on the, on the quarter and, and, you know, being funny and celebrating and all that, but also at the same time, like being mean and, and, and whatnot too. So, um, yeah, I, I just appreciated the, the, the well-roundedness and I'm so glad and fortunate that like, you know, we, we were kind of interlinked throughout our, uh, throughout our careers throughout. A lot, a lot. I mean, you're a huge part of like my, my WWE career for sure. And it, uh, it was very cool for me to, to wrestle you that first one where I'm under contract because like the, it, I wrestled you on my tryout. We, you and I had a singles match. And then, so then to come back and then in that exact same building, same thing, like now that I'm I don't know. It's it's weird. Like for me, I guess when you're doing a tryout and then to be signed are are two very different things. And now I know like this when I'm when I'm under contract. Like now at that time, Deep South's gonna be, I guess for lack of a better term, my home. And so now you got to try to like before it's just a tryout and it's a bunch of strangers. But now these strangers are about to be the people that you're with every day, five days a week at least. So like it was cool to be able to wrestle you. It felt as I was brand new to Deep South, but it felt familiar because that's who I wrestled on my tryout match. And 
And I just, right off the bat, I could tell that you were very, like a, a cool person and very easy to be around and very easy to wrestle. So it was like, okay, cool. I wrestled on my tryout. I was very nervous then. I'm still nervous, but a different type of nervous. It just helped ease me into everything, really. And then same with the FC, FC, and then we transitioned to FCW like a month later. Yeah, and I think too, so like, you know, we're talking about like getting to know each other, right? And uh, one of the like defining moments where I knew that I, I liked you was we were doing a film review, like after a show. And jo uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin, uh, was critiquing like one of the matches, and he's he's asking about like uh, uh, I mean you'll tell the story better than I do, but like a, a revolver using a revolver versus a machine. Yeah. You want to tell the story? Yeah. So Deep Stuff had a lot of rules. There were a lot of rules to the matches. Like uh, the first four matches that weren't going to be televised, usually weren't allowed to do a lot of stuff. They were very, um, I guess, handcuffed. You know, I mean. Is, is I guess maybe the pretty extreme version of it, but it they, they had certain rules anyway. I wrestled Brian Cage, who wasn't under contract at the time. And uh, Dr. Tom, it turns out to be the last show at Deep South, and I think Dr. Tom knew that. And he kind of told me to kind of go a little bit all out and kind of he said, like, display my stuff and help help Brian get signed. So I thought I'd only been there for four weeks or three weeks or something at that time, and I was like. Okay, I'll do my best to help get this guy. I just got signed. I'll do my best to help this guy out too. So we planned, it was a babyface, babyface match. We kind of thought like certain rules didn't really apply to us. And we just tried to, I tried to go all out. And I tried to be like, if we're going to showcase what, what I can do and what Brian can do, here, here's what it looks like in my mind. And I presented that. Anyway, the next day we're watching film and uh, we watched we, we watch the match. We press pause. Then Jody swings his chair and he looks at me and he's like, if I shoot a machine gun, how many bullets is that? And I look and there's 30 pairs of eyes looking at me. And now I'll also set this up by wherever I, wherever I go, I start out really, really quiet, really <laughs> quiet. And I figure out the surroundings usually takes me like a month or two, three. And then like over time you start to, I start to introduce you to the real people. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to reintroduce myself. But at first, First, I keep that that guy inside for a bit, and I'm very quiet and cautious and aware. So anyway, I got 30 eyes looking at me, 30 pairs of eyes, and I'm like, oh my, is there... So the way everybody's looking at me, I'm thinking there's a real answer to it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, AK... Is it called an AK-47 because it's 47 bullets? I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, like, on the fly, this... And I just, like, I looked, and then I was like... I honestly, I didn't even know where this answer came from. And I just said, well, uh, I'm from Canada and we don't, we don't, we can't legally get guns. So I don't, I don't play with guns. I don't know. <laughs> and, and that was the reaction. Everybody laughed. Even more. And I was like, but I know I have to kind of suppress this guy inside of me for now. I'm still not there. Too <laughs> soon. Too soon. Uh, and like, well, if I pull out a gun and I go bang, bang, bang. How many is that? And I was like, three. And he's like, so what would you rather use? And I was thinking, I was like, what, what's the situation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try to take out an army of zombies? Because I'd rather have the machine gun than the handgun. I, I remember being like, everybody laughed. I, I don't want to, I know it's going to egg me on. I don't want to get into where all of a sudden me and the guy who's the, the boss of these shows. <laughs> everybody, so I just was like, I said, yeah, I see your point. I didn't answer because it would have been a lie and I'd try not to. So I just was like, ah, 
I, I see your point. But yeah. I actually didn't see it. Nobody did. <laughs> Nobody did. What, what does that even mean? You know? Oh my god. But yeah, hey, bro. You 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 talked about like Deep South uh, having a lot of rules. Um, one particular rule that I always, even to this day, we, we talk about in a match. Jody Hamilton said, never kick a man in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> They're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, good Man, for, for the one month I was there, a lot of the sayings are like things that are in my head a lot yeah. in terms of like, you know, our little jokes and stuff. They stir in the slop and stir in the slop. <laughs> a lot of inside things that like we we know from being there that maybe aren't always repeatable, but yeah. What's crazy uh, is so after uh WWE pulled out of Deep South, they like restarted it just like as this like a small indie in the area. So like so that's where me and my guys would wrestle. And so it's funny because I'll hear people who are in Deep South talk about like sayings and phrases. I'm like, I only saw them one day a week, if that, and I got I already have I know all these jokes. Like <laughs> My God, <laughs> this is wild. Yeah, I think it's a lot of recycled material that yeah, it is. but like it works. It clearly works. Yeah, it's no, stuck in everybody's head. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so he was right. Yeah, Jody. <laughs> um, to to that point, so everything that we've talked about so far, I feel like you always have like ten extra details on a story that like aren't in my head. And you have this weird, like, photographic memory for, like, every situation you've ever been in in life. Is it, has it always been like that, or was it once you started wrestling? No, I think it's always been like that. So, like, times when I would actually, like, do my homework or study for a test, I'd do really well because it would, like, it would be fresh and I could, like, recall it. And then, um, so it hasn't always just been wrestling. It's just that wrestling took so much of my focus. I Like, I was telling somebody the other day, like, even at one time in school, I remember sitting there, I'm in biology class, but instead I'm writing all the different ways that I, I can work somebody's leg. And I'm in like 11th grade. I don't, I couldn't tell you one single thing that happened in that biology class, but I could almost tell you like what my paper looked like. And I'm just sitting in class, just like recalling these Bret Hart matches. Like, okay, Bret did this move to raise Ramon's leg. So that's something you can do. I'm just sitting there. I don't know why, why, why at 16 am I sitting there writing out tornado ddt to the from the top rope to the floor like why am i not writing the craziest like i can dissect the guy's leg like this i it's who knows man i don't know but yes my memory's always for whatever weird reason been like that so were you training at that time when did you start training at what age yeah i i started when i was like 14 and i had my first match at 15 is that like a normal thing in that area it isn't but um but Teddy and I both started at the same age. And then, like, then you got a guy like Harry, whose first match was at eight years old. So it almost sounds like it's normal when it's, like, brought into, like, such a small group like that. But otherwise, no. Otherwise, like, 18. It was very – no one else – no one really under 18 came to the dungeon outside of, like, the three of us. So, obviously, like, we've heard stories about the dungeon. I'm curious what it was like to be there so young, especially if it wasn't, like, a regular thing for people that young to be in that situation. It was very intimidating and very um, scary, very, very scary wrestling like um, these big dudes, you know, 300-pound guys. Not that everybody was, but these big, there were big 300-pound guys or these guys that were brand new, fresh from amateur wrestling. These guys were actually were our amateur wrestling coaches. They would coach us on Saturday mornings, and then they would come to the dungeon. Like, uh, we trained from, like, 8 till 10 amateur wrestling. Then we drive up to the dungeon at, like, from 11, and we would do um, – training in the dungeon and so like these are 
amateur wrestlers that like one of the guys was close to being um, a national champion in Canada. So like they're not understanding the art of wrestling yet. So like they're just throwing me around. All <laughs> uh, so it, it was very scary, very intimidating. And a lot of people might think, you know, being close to the family or, you know, like Harry and Teddy being a part of the family might make things easier, but it wasn't. It actually, I think we had it a little bit harder. I think like, I definitely didn't have it any easier in the dungeon than anybody else. I, I wouldn't say I had it the hardest of anybody, but I had it just as hard as everybody else. I didn't have like an easy ride, which I think shows in my work. If it was easy, then at some point in WWE, WWE gets pretty hard. So if, if I didn't have it hard prior, I would have quit at some stage down the road. So I feel like everybody has like a memory of when they became a wrestling fan, but I feel like you've been doing it so long, but clearly there was a point, like, is there a point where you were like, just like gripped in or has it just always been like a part of you and a part of your family? And you know what I mean? Like, how, how did you, how did you get into wrestling? So initially my cousin showed me some wrestling and uh, for whatever reason in my mind, it's, and it's funny, I went on YouTube to see if this match exists. It does exist, whether this is the match I saw or not, but Demolition versus Killer Bees, for some reason, uh, really stuck out. But then uh, I went home, and I wanted to try some wrestling moves out on my younger sisters, which didn't fly so well. <laughs> <laughs> and wrestling became uh, a banned TV show in my house, so I wasn't allowed to watch oh, wrestling. No. I watched, like, one or two episodes, really enjoyed it. They didn't have the disclaimer, don't try this at home back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then I, be, I then Teddy Hart befriended me when we were 10 years old. And then his whole family is so involved in wrestling that there was a, I mean, it, all of a sudden I was just surrounded by it. And SummerSlam 1992, Brett versus Davy Boy is, uh, that is like the single matchup where I, I, something clicked and I was like, okay, this I didn't realize wrestling could look like this. This, this is what I'm going to do. And how, why that gripped me at 12 years old, that technical match like that, I, I can't explain it. Besides, I, at that point, actually, I don't think I'd even met Brett. I'd met Davey, but I hadn't met Brett yet. Um, just that old schedule, just like you never saw, you didn't see them very often. They weren't home very often. Is, so when you said that you guys were uh, amateur wrestling in the dungeon as well, uh, is that kind of where your love for MMA came from, just having training in that background as well? Or was that also something that you were just kind of into? Uh, a bit of both. So do you know the, you know the movie uh, Best of the Best and Best of the Best? Of course. Too? That's the first movie that ever made me cry. Okay, so so Teddy and I were very obsessed with Best of the Best too. We were really obsessed with the Brackus guy who does the guillotine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Teddy calls me one day. This is, of course, pre-cell phones. And he said, you got to come to my house. I just rented this, this cake from Blockbuster. It's like real life, best of the best, too. I was like, what is that? They're fighting underground. And then anyway, come over and it was, uh, it was UFC 2. And that's the first time I ever saw uh, Ken Shamrock. Wow, and yeah. Remember, yeah, and then you fast forward a few. You, then we started watching all the UFCs. Then I just remember Shamrock being like, have, looking so cool. And uh, then he... And he came to train in Calgary and uh, Teddy's dad picked him up at the airport and we went with him and we're just sitting in the back of this van and like, <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. I had this exact moment last year. This exact moment <laughs> happened again last year, 22 years later. I'm sitting behind Ken Shamrock in the van, just like staring at him. At the time, Teddy and I still have like the mushroom haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shortly after that, we, we went with the short spiky hair. Obviously, <laughs> Navy influence, but very much Ken Shamrock influence. I just remember 
we, we were just staring and kind of in awe. Then I remember he's working out upstairs and we had the ring set up up there. And Teddy and I go in the ring and like kind of pretending to wrestle, but really just watching like what, what workout is Ken doing over there? Or we're pretending that we're wrestling. We weren't doing any wrestling whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Last year we were going to Europe and yeah. I had a connection in Chicago. And who do I see at the gate? Ken Shamrock. And I was like, now it's kind of one of those awkward things. Do I say like, hey, Ken, I'm TJ or hey, Ken, I'm TJ or Tyson. Like, I, so I just like, I should have, I should have said something, but I didn't say anything. And I just was like, Ken Shamrock's on this flight from uh, Kentucky to Chicago. It's so funny. And dude, his seat was right in front of me. Uh. And so, like, I'm just thinking of like 16 year old me with Ken Shamrock sitting behind Ken. I was like, oh my God, here we are. We're in the wow. same spot. I'm sitting behind super jacked Ken Shamrock. Yeah. We had those, the big boots. <laughs> Yeah, in 2019. Crazy. I mean, I really should have said something to him because, like, the fact that he sat right in front of me and how ironic it was that it was this exact same situation (laughs) as it was in 1997 is so bizarre. Wow. Wow. And my weird, as you said, like, my weird memory and stuff, it just was so bizarre. Yeah. Did you see the um, UFC documentary on the Lion's Den? I haven't. It's really good, but it's just uh, because obviously like he was renowned for running the lion's den, but uh, just the way they trained, especially in those early days of MMA um, and that they were just like trying to kill each other. It's just the, some of the best guys in the world. And they were like, like sparring hard every single day, pretty much really good. And, and those old days were so crazy, right? Cause they're doing like a tournament style. So like now, now like you're specifically training for who you're fighting in that person's style and all these other things. And, but then if you you maybe could you maybe could do that for the first round fight the the first one in the tournament maybe if there was enough footage then round two you don't know who you're getting and, <laughs> and then the finals if somebody could get hurt now you're fighting an alternate that nobody's even like it's <laughs> such crazy stuff happened in those early UFCs man it was literally the wild wild west <laughs> right right I'll say still like one of my highlights of of coming into work is just now there's there's UFC cards every single Saturday so it's always like trying to find you and like what do you think yeah. about like whatever happened. I know you're friends with like Cody Garbrandt too. Um, so it's just, I, I love picking your brain about that stuff. Cause I love MMA as well. Yeah. Yeah. You and I always have some pretty good talks about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would get, I'd get messed up. We always talk about people who laughed at us and tried to say, Oh, new day shouldn't be a thing. Uh, but you're the person who's outwardly always been yelling at us that you're going to try to break us up. <laughs> yeah. It works. Obviously 100% as a, as a joke. 100%. But, but yeah, I, I have been plotting this for over five years now. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's also one it of my favorite things about you. Good of friends. You guys have too good of a bond. So I decided to flex my power. It didn't work last time. I tried it a different way this time. And I, think I helped get you guys drafted to separate shows. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the beginning of the end right now. Yeah, uh, and we, after the, the draft, TJ walks in, he's like, yes, finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> it was too emotional. It was, it it was, was so, so good. Yeah, it was not, not the time for that. Yeah, it was oh, a good like, break. So I'm saying this, I'm saying this prior to you guys doing that segment on SmackDown. Then I watch you guys do this like awesome segment of, I was like, oh, my God. Obviously, I know they know I'm joking. They know I'm joking. What if there's one person who doesn't? I always, I always take that risk when I do my weird, whether it's my backstage commentary. Yeah. I, I'm not able to do as much anymore. I'm too busy doing stuff. I, I wish I could help provide it, but I 
just can't at the moment, but I'll find a way to bring it back. <laughs> it's missed. It's, uh, <laughs> we had it this conversation missed. with uh, with Claudio, um, but we always look back to, and this is wild that it was six years ago, over six years ago, but we always look back to how instrumental you and Claudio were in getting us over, getting us to make the switch to being heels. Uh, because of that, and we, we talk about it so often, so it's burned in my brain, but that European tour, it was perfect. If it was anyone else that we were paired up with, it wouldn't have worked because the crowd wouldn't have, they, they loved you guys, and you felt like, kind of like the people's tag team, in my opinion, just two guys who had probably should be in a much better spot than they had been over the years because they're incredible in the ring, and you guys worked so well together and we're so beloved in Europe and our stuff was so rocky. Um, but I just remember the magic of the uh, just staring across from the ring. Hey, uh, hey are, are we switching this? Are we gonna, are we gonna do uh, it? And I mean, we, we switch, talk, like switch. I said, we talked to Claudio about this, but I'd love to hear your perspective on how that was for you during that period. Oh man. So like, I, I absolutely love this story. I love this story. So we, we just wrestled on um, SmackDown in Dallas. And then we went, we went to the European tour. And uh, the first day, I don't know if everybody realizes like how our travel works, but we, you know, we, we wake up early in the Wednesday morning and we, we fly all through Wednesday. And with the time change and how long it takes to travel, you end up landing in Europe and it's Thursday morning. Well, we have a show that night. So everybody's tired. You're, nobody's on a proper uh, <laughs> adjustment of the schedule. And you're not going to because you, if we're going to keep traveling and be in different time zones and those European tours, they can, it, it's a lot of camaraderie with the boys and it becomes the most fun time, but it, it could, it could go and be absolutely miserable if you were to allow it to, because you're not really sleeping well. Anyway, I feel like we were all pretty tired. Uh, Natty was on the outside and Woods was on the outside. We come out there, uh, they boo you guys, they cheer us. And I thought like, okay, like I've seen this before, but we can, we can get them. I remember doing like a couple of things and it wasn't going away. It wasn't, it wasn't shifting. I remember like, for example, that first night I hid behind Natty and they cheered and I was like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) the reaction tonight, what are we going to, how can I switch this? I don't know if I can. And we, and we just switched it on the fly and went with, you guys as the heels and us as the baby faces. And it was so much fun because then the next day it's like, okay, but is, is Nottingham going to react the same way as, as Belfast? We don't know. And you guys weren't purposely coming out there and cutting promos to turn them heel. I remember being in Poland on that tour and it was the first time we'd ever been in that town. And they were seven weeks behind in terms of TV and the delay. And you guys, the thing is you guys would go out first. You guys would cut this promo, a very baby face, promo about being positive and smiles and you know <laughs> clapping's infectious and, and all that <laughs> infectious and 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 then we came out and then they booed you guys and cheered us but i just every night was cool because we didn't know if it'd be that same reaction it was so much fun man it kept us on our toes and, and like you said originally we were supposed to wrestle the usos for that entire tour and right. then, uh, jay jay got hurt and then we we're supposed to wrestle. Originally, you guys were on only on half the tour or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that oh. too. Yeah, and then we got put on the whole. Oh yeah, because I couldn't float. 
Because you couldn't float. That's why, that's why <laughs> yes. Us got, uh, got hurt if you yes. were able to float. So I'll back then. it up. So we, I, I dove out of the ring and Us caught me. And since uh, I was later told, since I was unable to float like some other people who can dive, uh, that's why <laughs> I was, a, that's why I landed on the show. Oh yeah. I said, you, you ever seen TJ dive? Yeah. See how TJ floats? I said, no. <laughs> well, he floats. And then he walked away and I was like, I didn't know defying gravity was an option. I, <laughs> He I wasn't joking either. He wasn't, no. joking. he wasn't like, ah, teasing you. Why don't you learn to float, oh, kid? He was re- dead ass. My God. I remember yeah. that so well. It was in Detroit, and they we got pulled aside into, like, one of the side, like, hockey locker rooms in the Red Wings. And I remember, like, you know, we won't, we won't drop the name on him, but, well, yeah, yeah. you didn't know how to float. You didn't, you didn't float. And then he leaves the room, and we're all just sitting there looking at each other like, did this really just happen? Like, <laughs> Can you, is there an ability, did I miss out on something? Was there an ability that I should have gained to be able to control gravity? <laughs> yeah. Did what I a, miss out? Like, <laughs> I, I must've been sick that, that week at, at uh, SCW. I didn't learn, I didn't have the floating classes. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been in those float tanks? <laughs> yeah, that's what it's, oh, I got to load up on salt water before I go out. I did, a, I did a float tank one time and it worked, I guess. Yeah, that was so crazy. And I remember, like, I remember a live event, like maybe a week after, and it was something to do with, like, um, I think it was us. It was me, myself, and Cesaro against you guys, against maybe like the primetime players. And the same person was the producer on the live event, which he's not very often. I remember he was like, "Hey, we're gonna just try to let's switch something around. Let's eliminate New Day. Like, you guys, it's elimination." He said, "Eliminate New Day first. I want to see what you guys can get out of the primetime players." And I remember, like. Obviously, you know, justifiably so, but Woods is a little bit on um, on the defensive. I remember, like, Woods pulled me aside and was like, hey, what was that about? Was was he saying, like, that we're not good? Is there, he's like, because the dive was literally, like, the week before. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what he told me. I don't know if that's the intentions, but what he told me was that um, they just want to see what we could get out of New Day, but, I mean, out of uh, primetime players. But what's interesting is that it was literally, like, a week or two after that yeah. dive, why your mind is going there? Obviously, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, freaking out. I yeah, float. yeah. Oh my! And God. the best part, if we were to go way, way, way back, and we were to sit there down with Jay, if you remember that day when putting it all together, Jay kept saying, "Hey guys, uh, can I get some help on this catch? Can we build like a little bit of a pile?" And for whatever reason, it kept getting ignored, and we were talking about all this other stuff. And Jay must have asked two or three times. He literally did. And, but it never gets answered. It just, like, we get into talking about the other stuff. There, I think there might have been another pile for another big dive or two dives, maybe the Matadors or something. So it just is Woods diving onto Jay one-on-one, which, of course, if you have more people, it does make it easier for, for all the parties involved. And so I remember Jay, you know, we're in that room. He's hurt. And he just looked at me. He's like, he, but he... He, he doesn't want anybody else to be sad, you know? So he kind of like smiles like, hey, Deuce, I kept asking him to build a pile. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's so crazy, yeah. man. Like so many stars have to align for for that to happen because who knows, you know, and I know we talked about it with the Cesaro episode, but like if you know what I mean, like Jay doesn't get hurt, you know, if we don't get booked. I'm still sorry. I still feel very bad about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. 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 You know, he's listening. So but if, you know, we don't get booked against you guys in the match that we don't get the same reactions, like none of this happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't know. I feel like I I talk about that, like just like how it 
trips me out that things have to happen exactly the way that they did in order for them to be the way they are now. So I don't know. It just trips me out. I agree with you. Like that, that's true. It's like, um, why, why did all these things happen that it happened that way? Because then what's cool is we do the full two week tour. So just cause we did that full two week tour of, um, the audience booing you guys and cheering us doesn't mean when we get back home and we get back to doing things normal, doesn't mean that that's going to be the case. Cause we wrestled you guys in Philly. Um, on the kickoff for Royal Rumble and same kind of thing where they, they cheered us and booed you. And they told us just like, just keep going, just keep going. Don't they just act like it's not happening. Which I understand, <laughs> I understand that mindset because the bigger picture is yeah. Philly might've booed today, but maybe next week that's over with and everybody's cheering you guys. But anyway, then we wrestle you guys in Chicago at uh, extreme rules and the company goes with it and, and we do the title switch and not only the title switch, but we also kind of did the double switch. And uh, so it was cool that it, that it translated and that it, it carried over, that it wasn't just this thing kind of lost in time in, in, in Europe that we kind of talked about. It's a thing that later on translates to pay-per-view and TV. So it, it, and then, you know, you guys blow up and you guys, you know, go on your own course. Well, even even backtracking a bit, like you and Claudio were just kind of weren't even really supposed to be a team really moving forward, right? It was just kind of a random, like, hey, let's just throw these guys together right now. And you just clicked right away. I don't know if you guys were friends before and you just knew that this chemistry would work, but you guys were just incredible. I, I watch old, just I, I hate watching my stuff, but I remember watching the, the match from Chicago and you guys are so incredibly smooth together. It's like you had been training together and, and had been working on being a tag team for years. Yeah, so same kind of thing. Like, we had good chemistry as opponents. Um, I, actually, I wrestled Cesaro's debut on the main rosters against me. But I, I don't know why. Yeah, we were, we were thrown together in that gauntlet. I believe it's in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We wrestled you guys in that gauntlet. That was oh, our yeah. debut, wasn't it? Oh, that's right. That's our raw debut. Raw debut. Uh, yeah. We debuted on SmackDown on Black Friday. Never forget. Yeah, Black Friday. Friday. Never forget. Coming up. <laughs> yeah, our first Raw. <laughs> we pin you guys. Like, there's some interference with uh, Stardust and Goldust in that in that match. They, they were already elim- Maybe you guys already eliminated them. Then there was some kind of thing. And we eliminate you guys. And then the Usos eliminate us. And then, um, then the next day, we wrestle you guys on SmackDown in, like, a pretty short match. But again, to that point, yeah. like, I'll, I'll never understand how you remember exactly Bro. where we were, who we were. So when you started going through, oh, yeah, Golda Stardust, and then you eliminated them, we eliminated you. Tulsa, eliminated us. I don't remember what we did last night. <laughs> <laughs> I will forget until, like, all of a sudden it gets brought up or I step into, a, like, when I walk into a building, I usually get hit with, like, oh, okay, I did this here or this. Or I did this, but these other guys that did all this crazy thing happened here. And I just started getting hit with, like, so many memories. Yeah, so that used to be uh, one one thing that I really enjoyed about being on the road with you. Because, obviously, like, you've got so many memories with other guys. And I was kind of, you and me becoming close it was a fairly new thing at that point. But just as soon as you walk in, you would say like, oh, this happened here and this happened here. Then everybody else around would pop like, oh yeah. And they start telling stories. And it's like, how are you always the match that ignites the whole flame every time? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I do. Like when I, when I got hurt with my neck injury, literally being away from, being away from the talent was the hardest part of that time. And not, not being able to, like you said, like kind of be that match that sparked something or like, when I came back as a producer, um, 
Dustin Wallace told me that uh, he was just talking about me that week before he was at a full sale taping for NXT and he was in that auditorium and he said he was sitting with some 205 guys and he said it was really, really quiet. And he said, man, you guys don't understand. Like when Tyson was here doing NXT, like this auditorium, if it ever got this quiet, that's when he would start creating noise yeah. and like, it would never be this quiet if Tyson were here. And it just was like, that was kind of my thing. Like I'd wait for it to kind of get quiet. <laughs> I felt it was getting kind of quiet and almost awkward. I had to, even if everybody thought I was an idiot, I had to break that at least for the room and everybody else could, you know, laugh and, you know, maybe conversations amongst each other would start, but everybody was pretending like we had to sit and watch NXT and complete and utter silence and listen to every single word that we heard on commentary. Like guys, we can talk, we can talk and we can <laughs> laugh and we can believe it or not. I mean, let me do it, but I can make fun of the matches going on in the ring. No <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally unfiltered, man. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, just so you, so, um, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit earlier. Well, uh, we talked about how, you know, you do it all right. And, um, you know, from being in the ring, being so smooth, you know, I, I feel like you're like the uh, prime example of somebody who no matter what they were given, you always were able to take that and, and knock it out of the park, regardless of like who you were working in, like the talent level, you always made the match like, like mean something. That, so I'll, I'll go off to a little bit of a tangent here. Uh, but there was a story, uh, we were in the scope and it was uh, <laughs> Christmas, you know, tribute to the troops show. <laughs> and I remember earlier, yes, this is my dream. <laughs> earlier in the day, we were like, uh, you know, they, there's like rumors about like, oh, there's going to be a reindeer. I think Mick Foley's going to be Santa Claus. And then some of the talent's going to be reindeer. And we're like, oh my God, no one wants to do that. Like, who's going to do that? So then all of a sudden, like the way I remember it is like, we look and I see you in the full reindeer costume and you're pushing the sleigh and you look over at me and I'll be back eye contact. You go, this is my dream. And just a big <laughs> smile on your face and knowing like what was going on inside your mind. And like, just yeah. again, like the fact that you were probably the most like talented, pure wrestler on the roster. And here you are as a reindeer pushing a sleigh in the scope and in North Carolina or South Carolina, wherever it is. And, yeah. and, and just doing it with a smile on your face, you know? Uh, so, you know, kudos to you for being able to like, to, to do that, you know? I was definitely a bit facetious, no doubt. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's the thing, like, I can argue it and debate it, and believe me, I, I, in th that day I didn't, but there have been times I have, and kind of, once it becomes the final, once it kind of becomes the final, like, this is what you're doing, then it's like, okay, well, now I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, but in a situation like that, it's like, oh, there's Kofi, he's a very good friend of mine. Let's see if I can at least make them laugh by pretending I'm having the time of my life. When the truth is, the 15-year-old the, the me that was trained in the dungeon is, I didn't train to be a reindeer. Yeah, believe it or not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking this has to be the dumbest thing I could ever do. Then my mind starts thinking, well, wait a minute. Don't don't put that out there. They, they could find something worse. <laughs> so, pretend to have the biggest smile on my face and pretend this is the greatest thing I've ever done. But it was not. But it's one of those things that now it's just, you know, two days later, it was funny to talk about. In the moment, I was like, I'm a reindeer. But you look at it as me. I remember you taking a picture. Kobe takes a picture <laughs> of backstage. Me, we're getting ready to go out. Me uh, and the Usos. 
<laughs> hey, hey guys, and I see he's got his phone. <laughs> for those that don't know, Kofi is a sniper when it comes to sneaking pictures. Incredible. This, yes. one, this one he wanted to get our attention, so I never flipping it off. That way, I was like. No. At least he won't post it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> that's the defense. Yeah, that's it. So, oh my God, too much. So, so, uh, so, oh yeah. Sorry, the scope is in Norfolk, Virginia, by the way. Oh, I don't no, want to offend I the said good North people. North Carolina, so, okay. Right, Virginia, yeah. yeah. And I got the N yes. right, N-O-R. Right. Yeah, good okay. job. For whatever the setup was this giant, it was, it was so steep, the ramp, like so steep that it actually was kind of hard as reindeer pushing this sleigh and not... Not letting it get out of control. The the, uh, the the sled, whatever it was on wheels, was so heavy. Like coming down that ramp, we actually were like, it, like we're supposed to be like we're pushing, but we're actually all holding to like stop the thing from like steamrolling us. <laughs> you know, you talked about it too about your your neck injury, and um, I feel like. You know, and and you can go into like the details of it and everything, but it was very serious. Like a lesser man probably wouldn't have made it out. But I feel like since it was you, you know, the fact that you have, number one, got through that neck injury, the fact that you overcame it. And now I see you in the ring, you know, on, on Instagram and stuff, doing like springboards and everything again. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, so just like the the. The, just the, that that story in and of itself. You've obviously had a, a story in getting to WWE, but you talk about somebody who has broken their neck, and here you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's funny. I don't know if it's the injury or my age or combination. Like, uh, whenever I get complimented, I almost get super emotional. It's like if I listen to like I listen to a podcast and Arn was saying like nice things about me, I was just like driving my car, and I just started like almost tearing up. It's it's weird. I don't know if it because of how high up it is. I don't know if it's like on that brain. I don't know, man. I honestly don't know. So you guys saying such nice things. Like I keep trying to like not really get into it. I keep trying to kind of deflect it. But I don't have to <laughs> truly, truly uh, um, appreciate it. Uh, with my neck, it was insanity. And when they finally, when they got the MRI results at the hospital in San Antonio, all of a sudden, um, you know, they don't want to alarm me right away. So I'm just kind of sitting there. And of course, being the, the friend that he is and the, the person that he is, Cesaro's there for like, he's there for almost all of this whole thing. Uh, of course, Natty's there. And um, it's almost like a SWAT team style. They came in, they're like, sir, don't move. Lay down. We got to cut your shirt off. And I was like, I can take my bed. No, you can't risk that. Your, your injury is so bad. Like a little, any kind of slight movement could be very catastrophic. And I was like, obviously my neck hurt and I was in a uh, collar at the time. And I just remember thinking like, I think these guys are exaggerating a little bit. I know that my neck's hurt. I know that. I know my body very well. But maybe they're, maybe they're just using extra precaution. And they, this ambulance takes me to um, a, spe- a hospital that specializes in, in cervical injuries. And um, they do the MRI and, uh, and I have to wait all night for the results. I'm in like the hospital, uh, sorry, the basement of this hospital. I'm not actually in a room yet. And um, they told me they wanted to do an MRI because they didn't believe the results of the first one. And they just thought, they said, they're like, here's the thing. 99% of the people, if, if they are saying what you have, the injury that you have, they're like 1% of people survive. So, and Cesaro, being Cesaro, he's so he said, well, hold on. You don't know this guy. 
he might be the 1%. You guys don't understand what you're dealing with here. He, this injury could be what the first place thinks it is. He might be the 1%. And so now I, so now I go through the whole night not knowing what is my injury. The first place said it's this. This place is saying they don't think so. That would be too risky and there's no way I would survive it. So maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Doctor comes in in the morning. Literally, Cesaro went to the hotel for a few hours. He, he left maybe at 5 in the morning. Is literally when uh, <laughs> Marfano leave is 5 a.m. And then Cesaro's there at like 9 a.m. with Chipotle and Starbucks. Classic combo. And like, <laughs> this guy knows my order. Natty doesn't know my order. Cesaro knows my order. Like, that's all you need to know when it comes to what a human he is. And uh, and the doctor, literally, Cesaro, it was like something out of the movie. Like, Cesaro just got there. And then this guy comes in, the doctor, and he's like, hey, uh, we got your MRI results. They are what that first place showed. He's like, um, I want to do emergency surgery. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry. First, he said, your wrestling career is over. I want to do emergency surgery. And I remember thinking like, wow, this guy, he might be a hell of a surgeon, but he might learn need to learn how to speak to people. Yes, in bedside manner. Right. And I just remember like, uh, during that night, I'd already kind of come to the conclusion that I probably wouldn't wrestle again. I mean, uh, my neck was in so much pain and I just even like, the things that they were saying kind of just like rattling in my head and thinking it all through. And I, so then I look over, I see Cesaro kind of wiping a tear away. And I was like, damn, this it's hitting him. I'm, I'm okay at the moment. And Natty was like, hold on, are you the best? And he's like, well, I'm not the best, but I can do it. And Natty said, no, uh, with WWE, we have access to the best. And with injury at this level, only the best is going to touch him. And so, then I was in San Antonio. That was Tuesday morning. I They airlift me Thursday. So it was two days of trying to get an airlift arranged to bring me. Funny enough, now he's in Phoenix, my surgeon, but he was he was here in Tampa. So for two days, I was waiting on an airlift. And that's kind of when things really got broken down to me. Like um, I wasn't on any painkillers or any kind of IV or anything. They would come in every couple hours and check my uh, my vitals, my heart, my heart rate and my blood pressure. And I finally was like, they're like, I remember on, um, so all Tuesday they said they're working on an airlift and they're injecting me with this stuff to thin my blood in case we, I do fly on the, for the elevation. Uh, Wednesday, same deal. Now it's Wednesday about 4, 4 p.m. Texas time. So I know it's 5 Eastern. I know the workday is basically over. I know that I'm spending another night in this hospital and I'm not going to Tampa that day. So I started kind of getting a little bit irritable and I remember complaining and saying, I was trying not to be, too crazy, but I just remember being like, hey, like, no offense, I'm not trying to be rude, but, like, you guys are checking my vitals, and I, under- I appreciate you guys taking care of me, but this bed isn't comfortable, and this little TV kind of sucks. Like, I have a nice TV at home, and I have a nice bed at home. Natty will check my vitals, and, you know, I'm going to, I'll drive home, or I'll just get on a commercial flight, and they're like, no, sir, you can't, you can't, and I said, well, you actually can't hold me here. I'm not a hostage. And then this woman came in and that's when she was like, sir, please, your injury is similar to Christopher Reeves. It's your C2, hit your spinal cord. She's like, the truth is you should have suffocated to death right there. For some reason you didn't. And she's like, 5% of people who have this injury survive. Of that five, 99% are paralyzed. Complete like a quadriplegic. No, no use of any limbs. And I just like, it, then, then it really sunk in. There's one thing when, like, to hear my wrestling career was over, I'd already kind of come to that conclusion. But the fact that uh, she broke it down like that, it all really hit me. And I was like, you know what? 
while we were talking, did you guys switch this bed? Because this bed is so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this thing you guys put in is amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I just was like, however long it takes, it takes. And that's when I realized that, like, it wasn't really in my hands. And I, although I was in pain and, and I was in discomfort, uh, it was a lot better than it could have been. And so I just, I just was like, okay, like, if, if this takes two weeks to get me an airlift out of here, I understand I understand the process now. And that was, that was kind of where we were at that time. So, so going from a situation where you're obviously going through this stuff mentally, obviously going through it all physically being, like we said, like I've said, like the work artist that you are, like, how does it feel the fact, like being able to jump in the ring and do springboards and do all this stuff? Is that something that you, that you thought, Oh, maybe I can work this hard to get there. Or was it ever, was there ever a point where you're just kind of like, this is this is rough i might need to chill but like you 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 don't chill so like how do you how did you get through that whole process i mean yeah it was just a long it was just a long process like after surgery they told me and they they said like a very key phrase that i told other people who get injured like my other injury prior to that was um i tore my knee but that was that one's different because i can do rehab and kind of like I kicked, they told me that it'd be nine to 12 months for my knee. And I got cleared at six and a half months because I could kind of, obviously your body has to take to it, but I could kind of control how much rehab and therapy I did and how much I take care of myself. Uh, with my neck's a different story. It, they fuse a bone in my neck and then I just have to let the, the fusion take place. And the way by doing that is to actually not have much movement, very much the opposite of what my knee was. So. It was a lot of me not being allowed to do a lot physically. And so it, it was very much the opposite of what I like to do. So it was, uh, it was definitely a process, especially mentally in terms of like just telling myself that like, all right, not doing anything today is actually to my benefit, which is, again, not how I'm wired. <laughs> um, and the, to go from working five days a week on the road to zero uh, you know, I had that happen before with my knee, but with my knee, I knew I was coming back to wrestle. I knew like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get cleared. I remember like with, with my neck, for example, and of course it's like, here I am name dropping, but, uh, when you, when you get hurt with your neck, all of a sudden, like you make new friends that also have had neck injuries, like Kurt Angle, all of a sudden I'd never, I was a big fan of his, but I didn't know him. And then all of a sudden he gets my phone number and he's calling me and texting me and, and Steve Austin, same thing. I was in Texas and he was having his people look at my surgeons that I was possibly going to go to. He called me up one day, Steve, and he was like, how come you're, he said, Hey kid, I saw the picture. How come they went through the back and how come it's, and I was like, well, cause my injury is the equivalent of like my mouth. They can't go through the front. Like this sounds so weird, but the normal neck fusion in wrestling is like C5, C6, C7 in that realm. My, mine is my C1 and C2 are fused. It's very, top two discs in your vertebrae are fused for me. And so, um, so I knew with it being that high that the, the chances of wrestling again were very, very, very slim. I remember maybe six months after surgery, like laying in my bed and laying on, trying to lay on my stomach, like I'm face down and I couldn't, I didn't have the range of motion to actually put my head all the way to the side. I remember thinking like, wow, I really, probably can never wrestle again. Like how could I ever take a face bump ever again? If I can't even turn my head to the side, like there are little things like that. And I just, so then to like, then when I came back as a producer, I'm kind of like in the ring showing talent, how to do something without fully doing it. But then like 
once in a while I might sneak something in there. Like uh, one time um, Finn told me that he'd never, he didn't know how to take the bump over the top, like a Royal Rumble elimination. And I was like, you've never done it? And I was like, so like, I hope the way I do it, I hook the rope with my left arm and I hop over and I push off the table with my right. And I was like, watch, I'll show you. And then I did it just like instinct. <laughs> I just did it. I remember like, Rondal looking at me, he's like, are you supposed to be doing that? And I was like, well, probably not. But like, it, it was okay. It did nothing. <laughs> yeah. Happened. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things like now that I have my ring and I kind of train people or put people through some workouts in there. It just, it's, I've never taken a bump and I, and I won't, but like the day they set up the ring, that was the first time I did a springboard in five years. I just was like, well, this ring is now mine in my little privacy of my place. So like, let me just try springboard one springboard. <laughs> and if I slip, then I know it's definitely not meant to be. <laughs> I did it and I was like, okay, like it, Still I, and I want to see like if the landing would feel weird or jarring and it didn't, I felt okay. Yeah. So, so for you is the plan now, what I really want to ask is like, Hey, are you thinking about coming back at all? I know you're such an incredible teacher and I always say you have one of the best wrestling minds on earth. Um, and you're incredible in that role, but do you ever kind of play with the idea of coming back? So I kind of did. Um, I, I wanted to at least write the final page on that book of me being an in-ring performer. And I thought, what better way than um, than the Royal Rumble in terms of I wouldn't have to get slammed. I wouldn't have, I already showed Finn how to get eliminated. So I know <laughs> I could get eliminated. <laughs> Things like that. And I remember, you know, talking with Vince about it and he, he said, do you need an answer today or can you give me time to think about it? I said, of course, take your time. Take as much time as it needs. It's not a rush. I can even do, like when I was just presenting it to him, I said, I can do next year's Rumble. It doesn't have to be in four weeks in this one last year in Phoenix, it can be anytime. And um, he called me one day and just said like, they put a lot of thought into it and that we would try to control everything on our end. But what if something outside of our realm were to happen and it were to undo all the good that is, that has happened over the last two years in terms of me being a producer and I, and physically I do feel very, very good. And his, his thought was why risk that, if it's like, and so don't ask me why, but in my mind, the visual that played out when he was kind of saying this to me was like, imagine I'm standing on the steps, like about to come into the ring. And just for whatever reason, if you're just throwing out the, some crazy stuff, like a fan jumps the railing and pushes me from behind and it whiplashes me and my neck's super messed up. And so I remember thinking like, okay, I, I offered this to Vince. He, he gave me, he gave two or three weeks solid um, thought to it. And this was his answer. And like I said, then I had that visual, then which, which is very weird in place to my weird, not that this was a memory, but like I had this visual in my mind of a guy coming and pushing me. Three months later, what happens at the Hall of Fame? Some dude slides in and takes Brett and Natty down. And I was like, it like, I was like, oh my God, that was, this is almost like what I envisioned happening to me, and I remember being like almost taking that as a sign, like, okay, you know what? I, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes, it would be cool if I could write the final page of my in-ring career, that chapter, but I can't, I don't think. So I, I've kind of, I when, when Vince told me no, so the weeks prior, I started to have those, and then maybe you guys have always had them. Maybe you haven't realized because they haven't gone away. Or maybe, but I have these, like, as a wrestler, I always have these anxiety dreams. Or like I wake up like, oh, it's just a dream. Like I can't find my gear. Oh, or God, I didn't yes. have time to put it together. <laughs> or none of my stuff, none of my stuff looks good. It's all terrible. 
or or like I have this I've had this dream where like I can't do anything right and don't ask me why but Randy Orton's laughing at me. It's <laughs> 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 <She> might be. <laughs> it's just so always Randy. <laughs> uh, so uh when Vince, when Vince told me that um, he really put a lot of thought into it, but he just couldn't clear me, uh, I'd say I was like 40% disappointed and 60% relieved. Like, I literally, as we're talking, like, I felt that anxiety leave, leave my system. So I don't, I don't have that anymore, but I do get a lot of fulfillment out of the matches that I produce. Almost, and if it's, uh, it's on special occasions when the matches are, like, really firing, but I can almost get the exact same fulfillment when I see two other talents or four or six other talents have a great match that, that I would get if it were me. Like if it, if it were me, say it's like me against Kofi and I, and I feel like me and Kofi have a really good match. Me and Kofi are going to enjoy that match. Our producer might enjoy that match. We might get a few compliments from some of our peers and then it's kind of over where like if I work with say, for example, six, six, of the women and they come back and they're super ecstatic and it went way better than they expected. And it went way better than anyone backstage had expected. Now it kind of lives on a little bit more than if it's just, I don't know if this is like a weird ego thing, but it's kind of like, Oh, TJ, oh, he's supposed to have good matches. If I didn't have in my mind, if I didn't have a good match, then it'd be like pointed out. But if I had a good match, I'm not saying a great match, but if I had a good match, it'd be like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's your job. Well, I think that you have uh, an incredible perspective on all of these things that we've talked about, life especially, and I don't feel that um, we necessarily get the credit that you deserve for that. So I want to just put that into the ether right now. Everybody needs to respect this man because he is the workhorse. Hard working. And, and dude, that's, that's two years of sitting at home, not by myself, but like Natty's on the road full time and that's just me being at home for two years and literally like... I miss being around everybody even more than I miss being in the ring. So like now I'm allowed to be back around everybody in terms of being a producer. I don't have that in ring part anymore in terms of me performing my match. Now it's other people performing a match that we kind of created, but I get to be around everybody, which was like, uh, I don't want anyone else to go through that, but like missing that for me was, was huge. And it, and it, and it sucked. I got my calendar maybe right before, maybe a week before I got hurt. I got my calendar for the next three months. And we were on, and it was probably against you guys, but it was Cesar and I, our calendar, we were, we were on everything. For three months straight, we'd, we were on five days a week for the next three months. And then to go from that to zero is just, it's just a crazy thing to kind of, not only the injury physically, but to go through mentally. So believe me, I don't take being around the talent and being around, being in the locker room, I don't take it for granted for one second anymore. Definitely, definitely. And to anybody who needed to hear that, make sure you put that in your brain. Remember what you got and, and appreciate it and the people around you. We all like do take things for granted and we're all, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take driving to work Friday for granted, I'm sure <laughs> at some stage, but like, but when something happens, you do have a chance to kind of put it in perspective. You realize, you realize, oh, wait a minute. Everything's, everything's good. And another thing I realized is I don't, like, for example, Kobe telling that reindeer story, and it's so funny now. Anything that kind of bothered me as a talent in that moment, looking back on it now, either I don't think about it, or, like, when I do, I laugh. And, like, and you just kind of you just remember the good things or the things that maybe weren't so good. You just laugh at them. Like, losing a Brodus in 12 seconds that day <laughs> annoyed me that I wasn't going to get any offense. And it was like, okay. But now, looking back on it, like, 
I just I just laugh about it because it's, it's just kind of funny that Bird has beat you in 12 seconds. You don't get paid by the hour. I tell people all the time. Yeah. No? Oh. <laughs> well, I beat you in eight seconds. I don't get paid by the hour. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, TJ, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have with you today. So, But we appreciate you being on, man. No, I appreciate you guys, man. I uh, Now, you guys are going to think it's part of my plan to get you guys separated. Mm. But <laughs> the cool thing is now I get to see you guys on Mondays and Fridays now that there is this this separation like that. So that part's cool. It's not like, oh, okay, I only see New Day on Friday at SmackDown. Now I get to see at least two-thirds on Monday and, and then one-third on Fridays. But it, it's cool. It's cool that it's kind of broken up like that because I have a good relationship, very good relationship with the three of you. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I always say this, uh, we got to have you on again because I want to dig into your, your unfiltered commentary on matches. Yeah. One of the, well, one of the highlights just of my life. Where can they find you on uh, social media? Keep up with you. Uh, on Instagram at TJ Wilson, seven eleven Cause that's, I, I couldn't get TJ Wilson. So I threw seven eleven cause that's my birthday. And on Twitter at TJ Wilson. Nice. Nice. Kof. Uh, you can find me on uh, the Twitter at True Kofi and on Instagram at the True Kofi. And I wanted to say real quick too, uh, we didn't talk about Workhorse Fitness, okay? Which is TJ's uh, supplement Ooh, company. Yeah, That's that. I get all my supplements from TJ. You know, I get all. I, you know, I, I do all of that. So, pub up. You know what I'm saying? Kofi's so funny. Like I was, I was in the locker room last week, two weeks ago, and I walked by and I saw he had like. BCAAs out by his bag and maybe the pre-workout. And like, I took a picture and sent it to my friend that I do the company with. And I said, dude, Kofi's the best. Like he's literally like putting it on display and like, that's it. Of course. What's what's the uh, website? At workhorse fitness. Uh, The the website is workhorsefitness.com. Okay. Dope. Boom. So if you got some needs, go ahead, check them out. Yes. And we're always, we're always working on new things, new flavors. We have a uh, green strength we're getting ready to, to put out. We have new flavors coming out. So it's, it's, all, it's always a work in progress. It's never complete. E, where can they find you on socials? Uh, I'm at WWE Biggie on Twitter and on Instagram. Also, make sure to cop our New Day podcast t-shirt on WWE Shop. Uh, make sure to cop the New Day charity tee. All the proceeds go to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. You can find the link on my Twitter. It is my pinned tweet, and it's in my Instagram bio. Also, make sure to watch Laser Wolf Season 1 on HBO Max. Yay. It's an incredible, funny show, and it's a very quick enjoyable watch uh and season two is coming on adult swim mm. you can catch me on twitter and instagram at austin creed wins you can check out the youtube channel where we play in hella games uh it's called up up down down just go search on youtube and you can check out uuddshop.com for all your hey. up up down down apparel and swag needs lastly make sure you're using the hashtag new day pod when you're talking about this on social so people understand what you just listened to and tell them how much you loved it and make sure to tell your friends they can listen to this podcast wherever they listen to their podcast just go to the search bar type in new day and click the pink picture with the three black guys faces on it that's us if you're on apple Podcasts, <laughs> go ahead give us that five star because it helps your boys out algorithms whatnot and you get more of this thank you for listening and make sure to always and forever keep it tight i'm going to go with the up up down oh, i was about to say i'm just telling you i'm spreading you forgot what show you were on for a second <laughs>